HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925. The first and finest enameled cast iron cookware and a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're looking at the way labels shape our perspectives on food. I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but is it acceptable to judge a wine by its label? There are some labels that I'd say are so bad they're good. As long as your paperwork's in good shape, you'll get a grass-fed label. Tune in to this week's Meat and Three on Heritage Radio Network. That's meat plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a new podcast about building food brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces for grocery stores last year, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. Learning the world of CPG and grocery has been a massive learning experience. In my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on everything from production and distribution to legal, PR, and social media. And then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that every other entrepreneur can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Amy Stern, Director of Operations of Chloe's Fruit, a national frozen snack food brand. Chloe's Fruit Pops can be found in 10,000... Wow. Grocery stores across the country. And they produce tens of millions of pops a year. That's correct. We yeah. Do. Welcome, yeah. Amy. Thank you so much. Um, so I like to start these discussions off, and I don't know why I chose fourth grade, but for some reason, I feel like fourth grade is when we're sort of like forming an identity of some sort. And like, all of a sudden you kind of have something you want to be when you grow up in fourth grade that's not like an ice cream truck <laughs> driver, which 
by the way, would be fine if that's what you were into. (laughs) But what did you want to be when you were in fourth grade? Oh, gosh, fourth grade. I want to say veterinarian. Um, Yeah, my dad was a doctor, is a doctor. And Mm -hmm. I guess I wanted to blend the little girl loving animals with that medical field. So, yeah, veterinarian. Did you... pursue science in any way because you do have an EMT yeah yeah so so the yeah the the veterinarian then kind of merged into wanting to just go into a medical field and uh, I went to University of Florida I grew up in South Florida Mm -hmm. and my plan was to become something in the medical medical field but I didn't know what and my dad Definitely didn't want me to be a doctor. He was very against that, mm-hmm. um, but kind of left everything else open. Right. And I couldn't figure it out, so I got a business degree. I figured that's yeah. Applicable. We're gonna we're gonna go into that for a second because <laughs> you have an interesting. I've, like I read your bio. There's like an EMT. Yeah. You baked yep. for a while. Yep. You were in finance. I was. Yeah. And I feel like there's one other. And I worked at a hospital doing management. Yes. Yeah. So, so you're a multi hyphenate. <laughs> I am a career jumper, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, you stayed in one place for several years now. So, I have now. Yeah. yeah. So you got your. You went to college, and did you study med? Like, did you study medicine? At I college? did. So I was in a program where I was able to do two different uh, concentrations at the same time. So I did business. But I specialized in health science in the business school and right from there went to EMT school. Right. The idea being dip your toe in, see, see how you feel. Very smart. And you didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a rough, it's like intense. No, I mean, not that operations isn't intense because I actually feel like. Yeah, it's intense in a different kind of way, like a life-saving kind of way. Uh, Pops save lives, They definitely save Mm -hmm. lives. Um, I think I thought it was going to be like TV, like we were going to run up and there was going to be a car on fire and I was going to drag them out and perform CPR and it was nothing, nothing like that at all. So you were like, I'm out and I'm going to go to business school. Well, so I actually moved to New York right Mm -hmm. from there and took that sort of business degree, the undergrad degree with the little smattering of health knowledge. And I started working at uh, Beth Israel in their orthopedic department. Oh, cool. Um, But I managed their orthopedic group. Okay. And did that for a couple years. And that is when I jumped and both went into finance. I started working and hedge funds, right? Just a total change up. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> to all you children out there, right? No, it's okay if you decide in the fourth grade that yes. you want to be a veterinarian. Yeah. you can change your mind a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at the same time, I went to business school right. um, at NYU. I was in their part-time program, the Stern program, actually. right? Um, and I did that simultaneously. So I was both working in a hedge fund, doing uh, what's called management accounting, uh, right? Kind of boring stuff there, and going to school part time. And then, were you always? Did you always like food? Were you always a food person, or was that like nervous breakdown food time? No, <laughs> you went to go be a baker. No, I always people yeah. either do one or the other. They're like, I always wanted to be in it, and I didn't know I could have a career in it, or like, no, I just kind of like burnt out and lost my shit and had to start <laughs> baking. And it's either one or the other. No, I, yeah, I was always very into baking. I was never good at cooking. I was, I think, my first You're a cook- science person. Yeah, yeah, I think my first cookbook was something like How to Boil Water. Yep. 
Um, but I was always really into baking. And after being in hedge funds for however many years, mm-hmm. I did just burn out on it and decided just clean break. I wanted to do something totally different. And um, I think I found an ad on maybe Craigslist. Right. So, uh, looking for an intern at a bakery. It's uh, City Cakes, which is actually right by, uh, by, right. by uh, Haven's Kitchen and by our clothes office. And went in, no experience at all. And they said, come on in, we'll teach you how to bake. Right. And, and so you started baking. You were doing nothing at that point with your finance, anything. You, you were know, just baking. Just baking cookies. And then how did Chloe's find you? So Chloe's found me. I went to college at University of Florida with our CFO, Todd Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And one day, a couple of years into working in the bakery, he gave me a call. He said, I know you've got an accounting background. <laughs> right. We could use some help doing just payroll, pay some bills, you know, mm-hmm. nothing full time, couple hours a week. And right. I would come in straight from the bakery covered in like red velvet, right. bring a couple of cookies, process payroll, pay some bills, and that was it. That was my kind of lead into the Chloe's world. And so from my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, they opened two shops. Yes. They opened one on the Upper East Side, and then they opened the one that we all know in Union Square. Correct, yep. And the plan was or was not go into CPG? Was it, was it always kind of in the back of their head or were they like, oh, it was sort of like uh, me in the sense that it started as very much a retail brick and mortar concept and then turned into something that they saw as a product that was scalable? Yeah, it, it started, like you said, with the two stores, the one on the Upper East Side was the first store, Union Square, where we still have our, 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 our flagship stores there. And the idea originally was to be like a frozen yogurt shop. Um, right. to be like the new, you know, tasty right, delight, tasty but delight, right. but fruit, right. Everything be fruit based, uh, banana based at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Chloe, Chloe's mm-hmm. was going on a TV show and they wanted her to present something new on the show. So a chef that was working with us at the time bought some pop molds, <laughs> stuck the mix into the mold, froze them, put a pop stick inside it and said, here you go, we make pops now. Wow. Which we didn't. Right. And so she went on TV, presented these Chloe's pops. And the next day we got a call from a summer camp up on the Upper East Side and they wanted a thousand pops. Right. And so we had to figure out how to make them. And that just all kind of snowballed. From and were you there. there during that time? I wasn't. That was right before I started. So when you got there, you were still basically doing payroll for the brick and mortars. Right. Yep. And mm-hmm. then, but now you are the head of operations for a pop company that makes millions, tens of millions of pops mm-hmm. a year in 10,000 stores. Right. So how did that happen? Like, <laughs> When, first of all, at some point you were like, I'm going to stop baking. Well, right? I mean, really the opposite happened where I came in and said, guys, I don't think there's anything left for me to do here. I've got right. you like caught up on your paperwork. I've got you caught up on payroll. And they said, wait a second. What do you think about running our operations? And I said, I don't know what that means. So this is awesome because you had to figure out everything like we did. Like you had to figure out co-packers and freight and distribution networks and brokers and all of that. Yeah. Fun, fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily, you know, I said, I don't know how to do it. They said, we don't know how to do it. Right. We'll we'll figure it out together. And, you know, we'd we'd Google what things meant. We just really had no idea. But we were working 
from the ground up. And um, so what happened during that time is Chloe's got into a grocery store chain, got mm-hmm. into HEB right. in Texas. That's like how many stores? Uh, it's a couple hundred. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a big first yeah, a, customer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And things just went from there. It just totally, everything took the turn from that whole, you know, frozen yogurt idea to we're a CPG brand. Right. We are a popsicle brand and everything exploded. And the way that now, I mean, because my, you know, I didn't have any big CPG plans. I really just wanted to teach people how to cook. Um, And now the way I see it is in a few years, hopefully the sauce business will be basically paying in some way for the brick and mortar. Like the brick and mortar will almost be like our marketing flagship for the sauce business. Is that kind of how it is for you guys? Like does the, does the brick and mortar exist at this point to support is there a correlation and is it used as like a way to support the CPG or do you kind of run them separately or? So they're run separately. Um, you know, the, the brick and mortar stores run as its own standalone, mm-hmm. but it is at least in the past, it, it's primary purpose was to be able to say to a buyer, come into our store, right. see what Chloe's the brand yes. is. It's right. a, the best way to represent right. your brand is to say, here's a store where everything is yep. Chloe's and we're representing it in the best way right. possible. That is really helpful for me because it is, it's like what we always call like the, the like experiential manifestation of the brand. Like you walk into Havens and you know exactly who we are and what we stand for. And then you have a better idea of what these pouches are that are now going to be in your store. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, I have a lot of questions. Um, We're going to take a little break. And when we get back, we're going to get into like supply chain and operations and logistics and hiring and all sorts of exciting stuff. stuff. All right. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset the first to pioneer colorful enameled cookware over 90 years ago. They've been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories the cookware creates and the style it expresses. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the communications director at Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food. And my favorite cookware is the eight-quart marine blue Dutch oven that never leaves my stovetop. Before we got our Le Creuset, the cookware we used most often was an antique Griswold cast iron pan. It didn't take long for me to realize how much I'd been missing enamel cast iron in my life. Le Creuset has a superior heat retention of cast iron, but paired with the unparalleled performance and ease of enamel. That means delicious food with easy cleanup. Head to lecreuset.com slash HRN, that's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T, dot com slash hrn to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals hrn listeners will get 20 percent off the new Le crusade cookbook with the code hrn hi i'm Allie, and i'm back with amy stern director of operations at chloe's fruit so now that you're making i just like saying tens of millions <laughs> of pops a year um how do you define head of operations? Um, you know, the somebody that used to work for us used to say that I make the pops and I move the pops. Make the pops and move the pops. Yeah. So everything until 
selling the pops? Right, well, so even that a right. little bit, um, I don't do the actual sales, but I, I get our product from our warehouse to the distributor's warehouse. So how many were, so can you tell me a little bit about your supply chain? Like yeah, how, sure. because your national distribution, right. right? Do you have one co-packer or do you have more than one? Right now we have two co-packers. Okay. And then, so are they fairly systemized or is there a lot of management of them? There's actually both of them started this year and really uh, one just within the past few months. So oh. while the idea, of course, is for them to be just automated right. and run on their own, we're not there yet. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just a nervous Nelly, but at the end of the day, it's still your product. Like right. as much as you love and trust your co-packer, which I think is important, clearly. I don't know that it ever, like I remember Jesse last week was like, people have to stop saying like, when I get my ducks in a row, because <laughs> your ducks are never going to be in a row. Like, right. I'm not sure that as the, as the, you know, as the company, you're ever going to be completely comfortable with someone making it. Like you can trust them and you can, you don't have to be there for every production run and like whatever. Right. But they're but not wearing a, a Chloe's t-shirt. No. And they're, they're, and they're, they're wearing not, their own company shirt. Right. And we want them to want to love our product. Right. And get everything perfectly right. But yeah, I that's mean, a lot of trust. So do you go to the two different production facilities and watch the runs or yeah myself right now myself or someone else on our team so our cfo helps out with production mm -hmm. and then we have a food scientist that right. we use as a consultant who helps create all of our recipes he does a lot of our r&d right so he'll go out and you know join us to make sure right. that you know i can say gosh this doesn't taste exactly right right that he'll he be able to say like up. it's the ten seconds of whatever, right? Right. Yeah. And then so, and you're also getting you're doing procurement for all of the ingredients, right? Yep. So you have how many would you say different suppliers for all the different ingredients that oh, you're managing? Um, I mean, let's say we have uh, nine SKUs right now, so probably at least nine suppliers across right. those SKUs. or some you know crossover between right. them. Strawberries. Right, yeah. Right. But, you know, some of them are just a standalone fruit that we're buying. And did you, I mean, I think one of, the, you know, we're looking right now at, we're doing this like sight line thing where like, this sounds very, like I sound like I'm eight, but it's actually really cool where I'm sort of looking at the margins per skew right now and then doing this like flying brick chart where, mm -hmm. you know, you're like getting 10% here and you're getting 10% there, you know, as you sort of bring efficiencies and make your ingredients less expensive, et cetera. Right. Um, but did you know when you were sort of getting into this, like, did you negotiate good terms with these different suppliers? Have you found ways to bring down the costs of your ingredients are you constantly looking at the margins and trying to improve them on each skew? Like how, yes. I don't know, how do you even figure it out, right? Because 
So in the beginning, um, you know, when I came in, the, there, I sort of took on the vendors that we were already using, mm-hmm. sort of had the historical ones. And when we were getting our feet under us, we weren't looking at those costs so much. We right. were thrilled that we were getting a product yes. out there. And That's if, how you we know, are right now. Right. Then, and there was a wide range between those nine SKUs, mm-hmm. what's a moneymaker by itself and what is something that maybe we're willing to lose a couple of cents on mm-hmm. because it tastes great and it's going to sell well and mm-hmm. that'll help push those other products. Just now, I mean, and now we're the company started in about 2010. We're in 2000, almost 19, mm-hmm. and we're really just now starting to get that real push to right. say we need to make all of this more profitable. And right. how do we do it? But a lot of that comes from you know we've been selling the pops for five years and mm-hmm. we've grown so much, so we have a little more power behind yes. us to say, okay, we're not just buying a drum or two drums. We're going to buy. 20 truckloads mm-hmm. of your product and probably more. What are you going to do to help us do that? Right. And I remember when we had um, Derek Quant, who's COO at Bonza on, mm-hmm. he was like, you should always get like 90 or 120 day terms. Yeah. And we're like, wait, I, we get like four. <laughs> right. They're like, they're worried we're going to go away. So yeah. they're like, you need to actually pay us right now, you know? And we're like, how do we even get those? You know? So, we feel like, you know, the good news is, is that we know that there's a sight line, right. you know, I mean, we know that it is really inefficient and really expensive right now yeah. to make everything. But the goal obviously is to, you know, right. So, yeah. I mean, Derek's point with that, with the terms is, you know, part of the problem with the company, you know, the type of things we do is we're buying the fruit and then paying for the production and then you're paying for storage mm-hmm. and then you're finally right. selling something right. To a company that has terms. Right. So the money that goes out is so far spread from the money that comes back in. So like to Derek's point, the better terms you can get. Right. That really helps. The with more the cash, cash you can hold on <laughs> right. to. Do you feel like, I mean, clearly in that sense, your finance background has been helpful. Do you find that it, do you find that the way that you think about things is sort of influenced by the business degree or do you feel like maybe it's been more sort of learned on the job and more about the just the personality type that can manage this type of logistics situation. I think it's more of what I've learned, not even just on the job, but just throughout my career. I think so much of the the bartering, the give and take between two companies, everyone's trying to get to a place where they're comfortable, where, you know, the vendor's charging a certain amount, but you're paying a certain amount. And yeah, there's a lot of finance behind that, but mm-hmm. a lot of it to me is the relationship. Right. If you you've know, got you're some, not the first person that said that. Yeah. That, you know, if you've got somebody that you want to work with, they want to work with you, there are, make it happen. there are ways to figure it out. Right. Right. So a couple of things in terms of supply chain, right? Like as we're building ours and refining it and as we're planning new SKUs and stuff like that, I'd love just... A couple of things that you would like to tell yourself five years ago. (laughs) Like, what do you think would have made it easier for you if you had known? Or any advice, because the majority of the people that listen to this podcast are people either at my stage or even a little earlier. And we're all just trying to figure it out. And anything that we can do to sort of like skip over one of those learning steps that takes six months and then, you know, and then you get and you get under your belt and you know it. It'd be great if there's just any 
thing right. you can give us? Yep. For for me, um, you know, our, our product is a fruit product. Mm-hmm. And the the knowledge of the fruit world, you know, it's sort of there's this, you know, infinite amount of information out there. But the basics, if I had kind of gone from the beginning and looked at the basics, taken a, a wheel of when fruit harvests, and what forms it harvests into. So mm-hmm. you take something simple like a strawberry and say, okay, there's the actual you know, strawberry that goes to the consumer on their table. They eat a whole fruit. From there, there's you know, frozen, then there's purees, mm-hmm. there's juices, that whole line. But also when all those fruits are right. harvested. So we, when we plan a new skew, we're not just saying like, you know, whatever lemon tastes right. delicious let's just buy a lemon and we'll make a new lemon skew but we know going into it like this is when lemons are harvested right. so if That's we're cool. going to be buying it this is when we need to know about the fruit and That's what really great advice because yeah. like an intimate deep knowledge of every single ingredient. Right. And and this is, it's something that we came across. We had a huge problem with this year with pomegranate. So Mm -hmm. who would have known anything about pomegranate? I never would have thought it was a skew we'd even run, but we, we launched it uh, last year, really, you know, small takeoff. And then all of a sudden it kind of exploded Mm -hmm. and we were way behind. There was like a run on pomegranates. Well, (laughs) and so who knew pomegranates are harvested now, basically they're a late fall fruit. And we use both a concentrate Mm -hmm. and a single strength juice, but the vendors mostly just make concentrate. Mm -hmm. So trying to find that single strength became this impossible task because we were looking for it in the middle of summer. Right. No one had any left. So now I know right now I am contracted for 2019 on pomegranate. I'm good. Vendor that we buy from has packed it for us because the problems we had this past year with we I mean right. we had the pomegranate shortage of 2018. <laughs> so that's very cool. So when you so when you picture a skew, do you picture it like in an excel with like every ingredient in that skew and then sort of what you need to do for that ingredient and make sure that you have that ingredient and you know is that how your brain is I mean yeah, not necessarily in Excel I right. almost I think about it in terms of like every right every part of that like the buying it is it something that we've never bought before and we're gonna have to figure that whole process out mm-hmm. um, the, all of the certifications we get right. you know everything is gluten free it's kosher it's non-gmo so are we starting from zero right. on all of those things and then the same do we understand the market for this fruit at all right you know have you ever thought of like has there ever been like a skew that you haven't done because for some reason or another it's just an unreasonable fruit to put in a pop yeah uh, (laughs) we cannot get pumpkin pumpkin (laughs) it's the bane of our i don't know i don't I don't feel like I'm missing that. Right. Just no, I mean, like, I feel like the other, how many skews are there? Nine. Nine. Yeah, I feel we're like good. They're, yeah. I don't know. So a pumpkin it, pop doesn't yeah, rock my world. And maybe not as a pop, but we still do have the store that does soft serve. Ah, uh, yes. And, that would be great. Right. And yes. we do have it, but we can't sell it as a wholesale product. We use, in our store, we use canned Libby's. Right. Uh, and right. 
when you can a fruit like that, there's a heating process that in a way it cooks the fruit a little bit. Right. And it's cooking the pumpkin and you get that yeah. cooked Slightly pumpkin cooked. taste yeah. that you want. Yeah. And if you're buying it wholesale to use at a co-packer, it's raw pumpkin puree. Right, right, and it right. it tastes like raw, raw pumpkin, pumpkin puree. That's fascinating. I've right. tasted all of them. Right. And, <laughs> and we just couldn't do yeah. it. That's, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so now when you started, basically you they were like, okay, you're going to do operations. <laughs> and you're like, okay. And there were how many SKUs at that time? Uh, five, I believe. We and did you have five. anyone supporting you on supply chain or any of that? Mm-hmm. No, it was just you. Yeah. And now, five years later, right. with f- several more SKUs and tens of millions of pops a year (laughs) how many like what does your team look like i am still my team (laughs) (laughs) so there's been some change um we had a consultant in the Mm -hmm. beginning who helped a lot with setting up the co-packers that we were using at the time right um and as he's transitioned out our cfo actually transitioned into helping a lot with that but with all those co-packers comes a lot more ease of my job. Yeah. So instead of going, at least going forward, we have all these fruits set up, we're contracted, we're good. We won't be in charge of that anymore. That will become their job. And right. I'll be more, hopefully, theoretically, a higher level right. overview of that whole thing. So instead of manhandling every step of right. the way, the purchase, the transportation. You can just say, hi, we need five million pops here and right. they go. Yeah. So that's a good question because I think a lot of people at the beginning, you know, I think a lot of us come with this sort of artisanal, we want to make it, we want to control it. Right. Maybe we'll build a facility and then we actually see what that would cost to build a facility. <laughs> yeah. So then we all sort of go in search of a co-manufacturer slash co-packer. What are the, would you say, like, are the absolute red flags when you're meeting potential co-packers to make your food? And what are some things that you were looking for that you found in these two that you sought out and found? Yeah. So, I mean, red flags, um, you know. Aside from like vermin. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, so all of our, I think, you know, across the board, everyone's looking for something that's, you know, it's FQF there, you know, whatever level or level three. Um, so just for all you listeners, SQF is like a food safety rating food and safety, three right. is the highest. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're also, like we said, we're, we're gluten-free. Right. We're, co- we're not just kosher, but we're kosher parv. So we're going into an ice cream manufacturer, but saying we need to be able to make, be made in a way. There's no dairy there's no, anywhere near it. Exactly. And do you, the certifications come from the co-packer, not from you? I mean, obviously you're purchasing non-GMO ingredients, right. and gluten-free ingredients, but for the certifications like on the box, those come from the co-packer? So it depends on the certification. So for the gluten, the kosher, the non-GMO, that's actually coming from our side because it's certifying the ingredients, the ingredient, the product that we're making. Now the plant itself also has to be certified. So that again is a red flag when you say we need to make something that hits all of these marks Mm -hmm. and they come back and say, we won't do that. Obviously, you have a problem. And we, with the co-packers we have, they didn't have those certifications. 
but worked with us right. to get to get certification. Which is going to be helpful for them too right. going forward, right? Right. So the one that is them is organic. So we do an organic product. Right. That's based on the plant. So the plant itself actually has the certification. Right. And then it's our ingredients, our product, but it's their name right. on that certification. Got it. Okay. And other things you're looking for or looking really not for? Other things we're looking for, I mean, we want to be there. We want to be able to say, look, we don't just want a meeting to talk about, you know, what we're going to do. We want to come and see your plant and meet your team. And are they open to that? Right. And what's the growth look like? You know, do they have room not just for the production, the million pops we're going to make this year, but... Do they have a growth plan for us? Do they have room for the $2 million we're going to make next year and the $10 million we're going to make the year after that? What are right. they doing to invest in that and invest back in us as a company? Right. I think a lot of the people that are you know, my size and smaller, our issues tend to be like trying to convince them that we're going to get enough volume to make it worth their while. Right. You know, and that's always like, look you know people like us and this <laughs> retailer said that he might be interested you know and then you like make these projections and right you know half of them feel a little bit you know they're projections so sometimes I'm like this seems like we're whipping this out of wherever but you know on the other hand like it does look like this is going to be what it is right you know? so okay and what about um so you said that that you are the team Yes. So you don't have like a supply chain manager or anyone. So it is you basically making sure all of the ingredients get to where they need to be and then making sure that it is produced in a timely way, making sure that it is then freighted to the 10,000 stores. Right. The way that it should be. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a lot. I mean, yeah. what isn't your job? I mean, sales. <laughs> sales. Well, sales and most importantly, customer service. I, right. That's not my world no, at all. I feel like, but you could, you seem like you could be very good at it. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so do you, what's the worst, like, what's like the, oh my gosh, what happened that was like that moment? Well, I, and the like the worst thing that's ever happened. We yes. so we're frozen pop, right? It needs to be frozen. We're, and uh, we ship at generally negative ten, negative twenty degrees. And uh, we've had, unfortunately, not just once but multiple trucks going into Costco, mm-hmm. which nobody wants to mess with Costco right. or have anything Don't go mess wrong. With Costco. Uh, we've had trucks melt, just completely melt, and oh, no. we add a co-packer that's making an organic product, and their line time is filled. Right. And an organic fruit that is when we're producing it, we're producing usually late winter. Mm-hmm. But the pack season is in the summer, so the right. fruit is maybe gone. Right, you at can't that get point. the fruit, and if you got it, you'd have to pay for a whole new thing too. You know, right, and there, there's the timing. It's coming from California. You know, this is yeah. our issue this year. It's coming from California. It's a frozen product that takes weeks to unfreeze and then our co-packer needs the line time to be able to run it right and then we have to say hey costco we can make this for you again right two months from now when pop season is basically over right Ugh. yeah that's and like, then hope that they don't ding us right for next season right Oy. and then on our last minute yeah. what 
advice do you have for people who were starting off or five years ago or, you know, this is a, um, this is a slog for sure. And there are just so many pieces of the puzzle and they all have to be kind of like perfectly calibrated, but it seems like you really have built a kick-ass supply chain, which is what I am titling the episode. (laughs) Um, so what, is just some like a piece of advice or you know what do you want us to keep in mind i mean someone literally was like you know take care of yourself and do yoga i mean it doesn't have to be business related yeah but just some advice to your you know earlier self yeah you or know me or to you uh or i mean for me i think it's it's really it's the building relationships and right that's great i can call you know a vendor a fruit vendor or a freight vendor and you know, it's, it seems like it's a little silly sometimes, but if you have that personal relationship with them, if you know, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you can just call them and kind of, you know, have a conversation that's not related to whatever you're doing, just right. to say hi, check in. Then when you need them later, mm-hmm. they're much more likely to be there for you. So right. we've got vendors that, you know, they bend over backwards to try to find product for us. Right. Or they'll work, you know, a freight vendor who works on the weekends when things go wrong because, you know, he knows that he, you know, that vendor is going to be my vendor for that fruit. I'm not going right. to switch from them or I'm not going to switch from this freight vendor. I trust them. So they go out of their way to help. And it awesome. just, it eases the stress of something yeah. so much when you can say, this is the guy taking care of it and I know he's going to get it for right. us. That's really, that's nice. That's yeah. good advice. Okay. I know I'm out of time, but I do want to just ask freight when you're building it into your cost of goods, do you, is it like a 10% of, or is it? 12 like frozen I would imagine is similar to refrigerated yeah so we we try to make it 10 percent and more like 12 it's yeah it's going up (laughs) it's really it's 14 it's 15 it's going up it's going higher and higher and that I'm sure is a whole nother episode for you but yeah that a lot of you know the gas prices going up and shipping and the rules around people being able to take breaks and take shifts and you know it's it's actually good for the people on the highways but it's not great for the prices (laughs) of our freight (laughs) okay on that note um I just want to say thank you so much for coming thank you thank you so much for being the engineer today Matt we missed you um and we will see you next time on In the Sauce Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.